0: Tony Campolo made that sermon famous, and that voice is S.M. Lockeridge. You probably heard him of in that other video, That's My King. Sunday has come. For 2,000 years, this is what we celebrate as the church is kind of the foundation of who we are as a church. Because without the resurrection, uh, what I do here would be foolishness. Your belief would be in vain for those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you would think it would be easy for me to come up with something to preach on Easter. But it's not. And it's not for the lack of material, right? It's like a kid at a candy store. You walk in and you see gobstoppers. And you think, I could stop there at the gobstoppers. But as as you keep walking, then you see all the choices of Sour Patch everything. And you keep going, and you, you can't choose between the choices of gum and chocolate. And that's what I have. I couldn't choose what to teach. And so Sunday last week I prayed and started thinking around, uh, the, working around the house, thinking about a few things. Nothing. Monday, more prayer. Looked at what I've done for the past four Easter's here. Nothing. And then Tuesday. The Lord led me to two things. Number one, preach the Bible. That's good. See a Bible church. We believe that this is God's holy word. And then reading through the Gospel of Luke again, I came to a passage of Scripture that I thought would be a great passage for us to look at. For some of you, it's going to be review. For some of you, it's going to be new. For all of us, I hope that you see uh, from the Bible, the entire Bible. Yes, we're going to look at the entire Bible this morning. So I know you have lunch plans. I know. You'll be late. We'll be here. It's 1045, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Those are when mine are. Um, no, I'm kidding. We're going to try to wrap this thing up within the hour. Not this hour, but within an hour. And we're going to look at the first Bible study post-resurrection. The very first Bible study after the resurrection. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. And we will see what Jesus taught the very day He was raised from the dead. Verses uh, 1-12 through of Luke 24. It's the classic resurrection passage. It's in all the Gospels. Matthew 28, Mark 16, John 20. And they all talk about The women go to the tomb on that day and when they get there, there is an angel sitting on a stone that's been rolled away from a tomb. And you get that classic traditional saying on Easter, He is risen. And the angel tells them He is not here. And the women run and they report to the disciples. And I want to give you a minute, just a few seconds, maybe a minute, apologetic for the resurrection. Because the burden of proof is not on the Christian. There are people out there who believe that we're, we believe in fairy tales. Uh, this book is not true. But Jesus actually lived. It's recorded in history outside the Bible. And still they say it was magic. Well, He didn't really die on the cross. He just appeared to have died. But He was beaten. And medically. it's medically proven nobody lives through a crucifixion. If you saw the images up there... Uh, that movie, The Passion of Christ, did a great job of depicting the brutality of the crucifixion. I remember doing a radio show back in Texas uh, shortly after the movie was out. I was there with a Jewish uh, man, um, a, a liberal theologian and myself. And they were, just couldn't get over the idea that, that Mel Gibson and we, again, he's got his own shenanigans, but the movie is a good one. Uh, about how he could be so brutal. And they asked me and I said, because crucifixion. It's brutal. And so how can a guy who's been beaten like that just not really die, but just appear to have died and then pull himself down off the cross and then go appear to his disciples? The question I have is, where did he go after that? How do you account for the ascension? Others think it's a, it's a myth. Uh, the disciples believed in a lie. Try this today. How many of you are going to lunch or doing something special with family today? Raise your hands high. Yeah. Try this at lunch. Try playing telephone. Just try it. You've done it before. And see, make it not just like uh, he lives, but give give some sort of saying that will cause people to want to pay attention. It will probably get changed, even within your own family. You couldn't get 12 people in the world to agree and stick to something unless it was very real of what happened that day. And it still doesn't uh, make up for the fact that there was an empty tomb. And so people said, well... Uh, the the disciples it, it was mind altering they they saw a hallucination it wasn't really Jesus but then you go well he could you could go and take him to the tomb and if if they were really hallucinating you could show them the dead body of Christ which leads us to one thing it is the greatest miracle that ever happened and we believe it to be true you can go to i can go to my aunt's tomb i can go to my father's tomb i can go to my grandmother's tomb you can go to Lenin's tomb if you've ever been to red square There is no tomb. And if it was falsified, if it was a hallucination, don't you think the people of that time, Pilate in particular, the Jewish Pharisees would have gone and said, oh, no, no, you've missed it. Here he is. And they would have put barricades around it and said, don't promote your false religion. Here he is. It never happened. And so we believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a substitutionary death, and that he rose again. And on that very day, he gave the very first Bible study post-resurrection. Look at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. Oh, if that is not a great picture of the state of all unbelievers. Unbelievers are smart. Unbelievers are successful. But they're blind. They don't see. Even here, too, who believed in Jesus were kept from seeing Him. And this should humble us and make us the most compassionate people on the planet. We don't go around yelling at blind people. Don't you see? That's mean. Unbelievers are blind. Jesus said to them, love this. Now, just for a minute, put yourself on the road to Emmaus. Get there. And Jesus said to them, love this. Probably had his hands in his pockets, right? Think about it. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, "Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these in these days?" Love that, Um, sir. Do you not know what's going on? Can you imagine just how hard it is for him to just—I mean—keep from a smirk, even? Just kind of. No, tell me what has happened. And he said to them, what? what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, again, hands in pockets, right? You don't want to see the nail pierced hands. A man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. But we had hoped it reveals where they had placed their trust. They had hoped for a Redeemer for Israel that would come and defeat the enemy. Not die by the hands of the enemy. We had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They had placed their hope in the wrong thing. They had wanted a conquering king, not a king who would die, but they didn't realize it was through His death that He would conquer. They carry on. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in early morning. And when they did not find His body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels. Who said that He was alive. One of the greatest defenses, circumstantial evidence, obviously, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the idea that women were the first to see Him, testify Him, and people were believing their testimony. Women at that day were... Look shunned upon. They were second class citizens who would believe their testimony. And if we were recording it, why would we put it down? But long before the feminist movement, God was upholding the dignity of women. And so some men and 24, some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found just as the women had said, their testimony is true. But Him they did not see. Now Let's slow down here. Now we're coming back to Jesus's words. These are important words. Let's just say for your consideration, your imagination, you had been in a coma for three days. And three days later, you come back to life, so to speak. What would you do? What would be the first thing that you would do? Order pizza? Call your mother? Go back to work? Oh, please don't. Whatever you do, that very day you come out of The coma, whatever you do will reveal your heart, whether your heart longs for pizza, longs for mama. It will reveal your passions. It will reveal, yes, your priorities. Look what Jesus does. He's been raised from the dead. The first 12 verses show you that. Here's the first thing our Savior does post-resurrection. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones. What if I would have started with that? That's not good. That's not very nice, Jesus. Slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Wasn't it necessary that suffering comes before the subsequent glories? And look what He did. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. This is the first Bible study post-resurrection. So that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what we're going to do. So buckle up. Turn back to Genesis 1-1 if you want to follow along. The verses will be on the screen. But we're going to walk through. We're going to go from Genesis 1-1 And we're going to skip some verses, but we're going to go at a high level through the Old Testament. I'm doing what Jesus did. Now, I did not die for your sins. I did not raise from the dead. But I like his model that the most important thing he saw to do was to teach the people to see him in all the Bible. So if you're at Genesis 1-1, we're going to look at the law. We're going to look at the prophets. And then we'll come back. To Luke 24. In Genesis 1 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I wonder if Jesus, I'm going to kind of play his role here today, if he would have said something like this. I think I'll have John write something like this In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So it shows that there is God the Father, there was someone called the Word. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And Jesus would say, I was there with God creating the world. Now if you flip over to Genesis 3, starting in verse 14, I'll summarize what's going on here. God in Genesis 1 created the world spectacular. In Genesis 2, He created man and woman special and specific. Man and woman special and specific. And in Genesis 3, in the first 13 verses, if you want to do a closer study, we're not doing that here today, but if you want to know where sin entered the world, why there's pain, why there's war, why there's marital conflict, why is there is uh, child rebellion, why there we can't get along, it's right here. It begins with a deceiving conversation where Satan goes in and he places doubt on God's word. He denies God's authority. He discredits his character. He he minimizes. He minimizes God's judgment. And he maximizes. He maximizes God's strictness. Did he really say these things to you? And so if you're here today and you've ever mistreated someone or you've ever been mistreated or you've ever been in a relational conflict, it all begins here. And immediately right after that sin, immediately God comes to judge and we pick it up in verse 14. The Lord God had said to the serpent, Revelation 12, 9 identifies him as Satan. Because you, Satan, have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And looky here, this is God. I will put enmity Between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And I love what the NIV says here. You shall bruise his head and he shall crush your head. Here's the point. From the beginning, Jesus would have said this. You see that idea that Satan would be crushed and and my head would be bruised. He said that is the first gospel. Somebody would come and have to defeat Satan. And in the midst of defeating Satan, they would be crushed. Bruised, crushed, broken. And so Jesus says, That's the first gospel. That's me. And he continues on. He says, Now, now flip over to Exodus 12. And I'm not going to walk you through the entire passage of Exodus 12, but it is the Passover. It is the great Passover. To be saved from death, you had to sprinkle the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost so that death would pass over your house. That is what our Jewish friends practiced to. To this day, and if you look in Leviticus 16, it's this day of atonement. It's the big day. It's kind of their Easter. It's the day where they all come together as a nation and they sacrifice a goat and they send him into the wilderness to take away the sins of the people. And if you look at Leviticus 17 and 11, you see just a, an appetizer an anticipation of Jesus for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Jesus might have said to those on the road to Emmaus, I know what I'll do. I'll have the author of Hebrews in the ninth chapter, verse 22, write something like this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And if you take it all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with leaves and God would not take their man-made religion. What did He do? He covered them with animal skin that even then, way back then, something had to die. Here's one you may not have seen before. This is just Jesus, right? Walking through the Old Testament. You've got Genesis following that. Exodus got the Passover. Totally understand Leviticus all the blood and gore. Numbers? Yeah, Numbers. Look at this. And Yahweh said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. The idea that the people had come out, they had complained against God, they had been bitten by snakes and then they said we have sinned. And so God says to Moses, take take that idea of death, the serpent, put it on a pole and And those who look at it, they don't have to do anything. They just need to look. And he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Not having to do anything, but only trust the word of the Lord and look to what he provided. Amen. And again, I think Jesus would have said to those two, you know, John, you've met John, right? Short guy, pretty, pretty fast faster than Peter? He wrote it in his book. I'm serious. It's in there in John 20. The one, the disciple whom Jesus loved beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> I'll turn there and show you. But I'll have John write this and it has become the most popular verse of the Christian church. And when Moses had lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Numbers 21 so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And you've probably heard this one before. I bet we could turn off the screen here. I could shut my Bible and we could all say, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Numbers 21, John 3.16 Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers. How about Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 18.15 The Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me says Moses from among you, from your brothers. He'll be one of you. It is to him you shall listen. Going on in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And can you see the two on the on the road to Amazus thinking to yourself, and Jesus goes, yeah, that's me. And that, those are your first five books of the law. I'm sure uh, he probably spent more time in each book walking through different events. Kind of taking him to the burning bush. Right? The bur- Bushes don't burn and then and then, and then remain there. And you remember I was talking to him and and, and and Moses said, Well, I don't want to go back to the people and say, The burning bush told me. Can you tell me your name, please? He says, You tell them that I am sent you. And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, would say, Before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones to kill him. And so in the law, he shows. This is what this book is about. It's about me. How about the prophets? Isaiah 53. Here's the magnificence of this particular prophecy. It is written 800 800 years before Jesus Christ. 800. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of the ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't GQ. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As for the one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Maybe you're here today and you're a man or woman of sorrows. You're acquainted with grief. You've been despised. Jesus can identify with you. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We looked at Him and we said, He's the one who's afflicted. But why? Verse 5 tells us. But He was pierced 800 years. 800 years before Jesus. He was pierced. for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds or by His wounds, we are healed. He didn't die for anything that He did. In fact, verse six tells us all. If you're following along in your Bible, I would circle that word all. That means all. That means everybody here, everybody here, you three, all those precious little pumpkins. All of them. My sheep have gone astray. All have turned. And he pauses every one. To his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth and like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that was before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You get the picture if you've seen the movie. He walks and he doesn't fight it. He knows exactly what he's doing. Later on, he would say, I can take my life. I have the authority To give and take my life. But he goes because he knows what he's doing. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away and asked for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. If you read John, you see Joseph of Arimathea comes and he takes him down off the cross and he puts him in a tomb that he purchased. A rich man. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Probably one of the more troubling verses uh, in this passage It was in the New American Standard, it was the pleasure of Yahweh to crush him. Pleasure to put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He will see the offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You mean to tell me God's sovereign plan he had decided to put his own son on the cross? That's the only way it could have done. Could have happened. Could have been done that way. Sinful man needs to come be reconciled with a holy God. But only a holy God can please a holy God not sinful man. And so you need someone who is holy and perfect and righteous who identifies, as was said earlier, with his brothers. And that someone is Jesus. He is not a mere man. He's God become man. And He came. And out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. Hebrews 12 says, Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That in Christ, Christian, you and I are counted as righteous. In Christ, we are seen as holy. Apart from Christ, we are not. And he shall bear their iniquities. And therefore, I will divide a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. He died. He did not swoon on the cross. It wasn't a a magic trick. He was numbered with the transgressors. One on his right and one on his left. One says, save yourself. The other says, you don't even know what you're talking about. He doesn't need to be up here. And he looks at him and he says, Remember me? And he says, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And maybe Jesus, once he reads that passage with a little commentary, goes, you guys have met Philip, haven't you? It's a little taller in John, not as fast, but he's going to lead an Ethiopian to me from this passage. Just read it in Acts 8. I mean, he probably wouldn't say Acts 8 because never mind carrying on into another prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. If you have financial struggles, He's got good news for you. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you have emotional struggles, Jesus Christ... It's for you to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening up the prison to those who are bound. To the afflicted, He comes to release them. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus probably looked at the two on the road and he said, did you ever, were you guys around? I don't know if you guys are following me yet, but did you ever remember my first public sermon? I went into the synagogue. They gave me the Isaiah scroll. I unrolled it. I turned to this passage and I said, today, this has been fulfilled in your sight. Some loved me that day. This is good for me. Some loved me that day when he's talking to these two. Some hated me. That's good for preachers to know. Some love and some hate. And then if you were to go into a minor prophet, Zechariah says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You've seen that scene. They all flee from Jesus when the Roman soldiers come. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In Zechariah twelve ten, They look upon me whom they have pierced. And if you turn back to Luke 24, right before you get there in Luke 23, the soldier looks at him and he says, he's looking on the one whom he has pierced. He said, surely this was the Son of God. And so Jesus probably picked other passages. He could have picked Psalm 22. My God, my mother. You remember when I cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Psalm 22 to fulfill that psalm. Or. I was in the tomb three days and not one day longer because Psalm 1610 says he will not allow his Holy One to see the cave. Now back to Luke 24. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went in and he stayed with them. When He was at table with them, He took the bread and blessed it, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. Here's Jesus teaching them from the Old Testament, fellowshipping with them, eating food with them. And their eyes are opened. They had been kept from seeing Him. Now they see. My friends, you and I will only see Jesus when God opens our eyes. That has been my prayer all week. That Christian and non-Christian alike would see Christ. My prayer has been for those of you out there, whether you be a believer or not, and just think this is kind of outdated and and uh, there's surely there's errors in it because it's so old. My prayer is that you wouldn't blow off the the Bible, but you would see Jesus. My prayer has been that you would open this up and from every story that you would see Jesus. My prayer has been that this is not a book about rules, though it contains them. This is not a book about doctrine, though it defines it. This is not a book about religion, though it promotes one. It is a book about the relationship with the living God most dramatically seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. By God's grace and for His glories, for four years we walked through every verse of eight books of the Bible and we've seen Jesus and by His grace and for His glory, we'll walk through 58 more. Every verse. And we will see Jesus. That is my prayer for you. If you're not reading the Bible, there are free ones out there. Take one. Read it. And see Jesus. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That's what should get our heart pumping when we see in the Old Testament. Oh, I see when John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Leviticus was about. All of Leviticus, the first seven chapters was just animal after animal, sacrifice after sacrifice. And they tied their emotion to Scripture. And if your heart doesn't get fired up from reading the Word or listening to a sermon, that is my prayer, that you would see Jesus. And so in verse 33, they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. Those who were with them and gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what happened on the road and how He is known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now sometime later, they were talking about these things. Could you imagine Cleopas and the other guy talking and just saying, "This is what we were doing." He was, he started in Genesis 1:1. I didn't know when we were leaving, but but he, it was amazing to me. He kept showing me him in the Old time. I was like, "That makes sense." Oh yes. He, he showed me events. He showed me prophecies. He showed me titles. Daniel nine, it was or Daniel seven, it was you know the, the whole son of man thing, and it's like that's all he kept saying. When you're around him, I am the son of man, and the son of man will do this. It makes sense now. And as they were talking about these things, love this. Jesus Himself stood among them. Don't know how he just stood among them, and he says peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. Wouldn't you too? Somebody that you know had known had died, you hadn't seen them yet, and all of a sudden they're there and you're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you peek out, you like, Oh my Jesus. But I, but I want to show you something here. Don't don't get blown away by the fact that they miss uh, they knew who he was, that they thought he was dead, so they're thinking it's a ghost. But look what Jesus did. He rises from the dead. He doesn't get a pizza. He doesn't even go to his family. He takes the first two people that he comes to and he teaches them the Bible. By the way, that's what we do here at Eagle Bible Church. We teach the Bible. Praise God right now. Ben and some others are teaching your young pumpkins, some of whom need Jesus. One of mine too. The Bible. The Bible. And look what he does here. He attends a small group meeting. No way. You mean to tell me that Jesus, post-resurrection, prior to the ascension, teaches people the Bible. He wants them to see him in all the scriptures. And then he goes to a small group. That's what I'm telling you. And look what he says to him. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Why do you think I'm a ghost? See my hands? I had to keep them in my pockets before. The two on the road, they didn't know who it was. It is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they, I love this, I love this, while they still disbelieved for joy. <laughs> That's one of those you, you wrestle with when you first see it. They still disbelieved for joy. The idea that they were still astonished, but they were overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with happiness, and were marveling. Do you marvel? At the resurrected Jesus. Do you marvel? Or is it just kind of an academic exercise? Do you marvel? Are you excited? And and I love this. Have you anything here to eat? Just rose from the dead. I just spent an hour or so walking to Genesis. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and look what he did. It didn't just disappear and he ate it. Did you catch that? The resurrected Christ. There are cults out there who say, oh no, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead physically. It was only a spiritual. There's the Jesus of history and the, and the Jesus of faith. He was a living being. He rose. He had skin. He talked. He breathed. He vanished. Now, I don't understand all the vanishing aspects wonder someday if I'll get to do it with you and our resurrected glorified bodies. Hey, check this out. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But he did. But we get the point. It was a bodily resurrection and it's an example of our future that we too will have a glorified body. Praise God. Praise God. Get excited. Jesus not only teaches people the Bible, he not only attends a small group, now he's going to lead it. Then he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And you could see the two on the road to Emmaus going, check this out. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Oh, pray every day. Open open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from Your law. Open my heart, Lord, to see Jesus. And He said to them, Thus it is written. And here's what they were missing. They expected Christ to come and conquer and rule. They didn't expect Him to come and die, though He told them three times. It's in every Gospel. It's mentioned in every single one of them three times. You can you don't even have to read your gospels, just start flipping through it and says, Jesus predicted his future. Jesus again predicted his future death and for a third time. And now they finally see that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, kind of alluding to this is your job. It was my job to die on the cross. It was my job to go and do what you could not do. But I, being the king, and you being my subjects, I've given you a mission. Go tell the world about me. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending sending the promise of my father upon you, that is, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with the power on high. And then in 50, he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. When he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshipped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now to get a full picture of that, we're going to dip a little bit into the book of Acts. So if you're in Luke 24, you can skip the Gospel of John, though it's a good one. You ought to read it. Go to Acts. We'll look at 6-11, through the first five verses. This is the, the sequel. If you are into shows and movies, you know about sequels, right? Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. This is the sequel, Luke, Acts, both written by the great physician Luke. Yes, the Bible is one ongoing story from Genesis to Revelation. It builds upon itself. It's tied together with one character. It's all about Jesus. It's better than any episode of Psych or The Following or whatever you're watching. You're supposed to laugh at that. And so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, do you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And here's our commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing, can you imagine? Here's not a swoon Jesus who's been beaten and can barely walk, had to have somebody help him carry the cross, but a resurrected Jesus, and they see Him going up, and they're gazing into the clouds. And two men who stood by them in white robes, probably the same two, two at the tomb, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why are you... You get it now, right? He's, he's the resurrected Christ. He's, he's shown you himself. He's appeared to, to Peter, to, to the disciples, and to more than 500, and now he's risen. Don't just stand there. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. He's coming back. And so you get from that the first Bible teaching on the first Resurrection Day ever. And from that, you see Jesus' priorities. First things first, He wants everybody to see Him in the Bible. He He didn't have to choose to teach people from the Scripture. He could have just said, let me just show you how magnificent, how great, and how wonderful I am. But He wanted something where they could all have an objective, third party, everybody could go to it, and see Jesus. And then he gathered together with fellow believers. He attends the group. He leads the group. And then he gives them a commission. Go to the world. If you were to see our logo, maybe that's what we're about. See Christ in all the Bible. Gather together in small groups and be the church and do join with what Ben wants to do and go out and prosper the city and take Jesus to the culture. Now you may, may be thinking, well that's that's pretty good. I'd never seen the numbers twenty-one thing. But I'm here today and I'm physically worn down, I'm financially behind, I'm emotionally spent. I'm maritally struggling. I'm paternally don't know what to do. I just it's tough with the neighbors and it's even tougher with the boss. Can I tell you because of the resurrection, if you've got a physical ailment, said He took all your infirmities, all your iniquities, if not immediately, definitely, ultimately. If you are down financially, He's going to give you everything you need. And there's wisdom from the Scripture to show you a way out. If you're down emotionally, there's only hope and it's hope in Him. Maybe you've placed your hope in a relationship. Maybe you've placed your hope in succeeding at something. If you're struggling with raising your kids, He was the perfect child. He is an example for your children. Talk to them about Him struggling with people in your circle of influence, He will give you the power to love them, to love even your enemies. Work isn't good. He is the perfect boss. Not in the whole silly slogan on the back of a car, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. I'm talking that when He says, you work, work is unto the Lord. Knowing you will receive your inheritance in full. It's based on the resurrection. Something's coming. And maybe you're here today, and life is good, and you've got it all together, apart from Jesus, and you know, and he's just tipping your hat to the man upstairs. I assure you that if you succeed, you will be arrogant and believe you are the one that did it, and if you fail, you will despair. So, what do I have to say about the resurrection this day, and what it means for all of us? Easter is a way that we live every day. It is bringing real hope overflowing from a real relationship, showing the world a real Jesus. We do not deny sin. But we never forget the awesome love of God. In the cross is the answer. Is the answer. I leave you with 1,188 more chapters to see. Is the answer to every single human problem. It's in the resurrection. You mean to tell me I can live a victorious life? Yes. You can be free from addiction. Severe addiction. You can be free from just sinful frustration. It may not come immediately. It'll definitely come ultimately. We are not a health and wealth church. Victory is yours and that is where you live. You and I are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. You mean to tell me my hope is secure? Absolutely. Your life is not about your achievements. And if you're here today and you're younger than 21, it is not found in academics. I tried it. It is not found in athletics. Believe it or not, I tried that too. It's not found in who you know socially. It's not found in how much you make financially. Tried all that. You mean to tell me your hope is secure because you're in Christ and nothing else? Amen. You mean to tell me that's all you want to live for? Absolutely. And when I've got my eyes focused on Him and not on the storms, and when my eyes are focused on Him, the author and perfecter of my faith, running and laying aside every encumbrance and every sin, the sin of unbelief, when I'm running and doing that, nothing, nothing, take away my hope in Christ. Even the death of your Father? Even the death of my Father. Even the death of your Son? Not even the death of not my Son, but other people. Because our hope is not in a particular relationship. We grieve absolutely, but not as those who have no hope. Because we believe in the resurrection. I know where I'm going. Do you? I know where I'm going. And I know who wins in the end. I read the end. I started there. This is good. So we don't despair death. We grieve? Absolutely, we don't despair. And are you telling me that God calls me to do some, some big things here, to love my enemies, to die to self? Are you telling me you're telling me that Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, I can do those things? Yes. What God has commanded, He will enable by the power of the resurrection and His Spirit living within you. That I can truly love anybody else. Amen? And I can have a joy despite my circumstances. True hope is found in the true story of Jesus Christ and it's contained in God's true Word. Some of you are thinking this is too good to be true. Let me assure you, Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of God. Literally making intercession for us. He's working all things according to good to those who love Him and are called by His name. Some of you are saying this is too simple to be trusted. The Bible's right. Friday was here. Sunday's come. You either believe it or you don't. Take God at His word and then take it to the world. Father, My prayer is for every single person in this room to fall deeper in love with You and love with Your Son, love with the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, that they would see Your Son Jesus on every page of Scripture. They would walk with Him in fellowship. And they would share the truth with their family, friends, and the world pray for anyone in here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Might this be the day that you open their eyes to see and like Lydia, that you open their hearts to understand the words that I have just spoken. And I pray for those of us in here who know the Lord Jesus Christ who may have slipped in confidence in our faith we'd be reassured as to how great you are. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.